the college football committee is just saying, you know what, BYU, like, go fuck yourself. The Rams have quietly been putting together this strong season themselves. Tampa Bay, they play really well when they don't play on primetime. Yeah. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to another exciting edition of the Slightly Sideways Podcast, episode 17. I'm your host, Koenig, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Corbin. Say hello to the people, Corbin. Hello, everyone. Did you miss us? We are back from our two-month break. We missed everybody so, so much, but holiday season gets busy. Shit gets crazy, but uh, we're back now. So happy to be back. So great to be back on the mic. Kind of weird after such a long hiatus. Like it or not, here we are. As you all know, here on Slightly Sideways, we like to have ourselves a couple adult beverages as we go through the segments. On my end today, I have one of our personal favorites, me and Koenig's personal favorites, Montucky Cold Snacks, a yes, beer out It's the official, unofficial beer of Montana. I will be slugging these today. Koenig, what do you have on your end? Well, on my end tonight, going with a special choice for our long-anticipated return to the, I don't know, media sphere. <laughs> <laughs> In a Carl Strauss Brewing Company glass, Carl Strauss Brewing out of San Diego, California, not sponsored, <laughs> I have a Stone Tropic of Thunder Lager. Ooh, it looks intimidating. It has like a demon skull on the front of it. <laughs> yes. So I'm not, so here's the thing about Stone is Stone, the people who drink Stone, they swear by it. Stone makes a bunch of IPAs and I fucking hate ipas i was at bevmo the other day and i was just looking through the lagers and i wanted to go with something different and i saw the stone and i actually didn't know that stone made a lager i thought for sure like all they did was ipas but this is a stone lager we'll see how it goes 5.8 percent by volume so nothing that'll like blow your socks off but i was feeling kind of festive tonight i'm going with the san diego glass stone out of escondido california i'm kind of going back to my college days in san diego well my Grad school days, I should say. Yes, sir. Before we get into tonight's show, we have a big show planned for you guys tonight. I know how you like I'm big. <laughs> if you aren't already, give us a follow on Twitter at Slightly Sideway so you can keep up with our day-by-day -day sports takes throughout the week. If you're on Spotify, you can find our show at Slightly Sideways Podcast. Go ahead and smack that follow button so you get a notification every time we upload a new episode. If you're on YouTube, you can find our show at Slightly Sideways Podcast. If you enjoyed tonight's episode, consider giving us a virtual thumbs up. You can give us an actual thumbs up if you'd like to. Go ahead and hit that like button. Hit the subscribe button if you are enjoying our content so you never miss a new episode. I know we've been saying it for a long time now, but we had a long extended break. We are going to have exclusive episodes coming to YouTube. We've been saying it for like the last 15 episodes, but it is going to be a thing that's going to be a work in progress. A lot of people say you're releasing these episodes after the games take place. You're recording an episode, for instance, with the NFL, and you're releasing it Sunday night after the games have already been played. But what if we were to have our perspective during the midweek? What if we release something on a Wednesday that's exclusive to YouTube? I don't know. You might just have to subscribe and find out. Ooh, baby. This is a very special time of year because I think it's a time where most of the enjoyable sports are all in season. So it gives us something to talk about, and hopefully you guys enjoy our return here to the program. On tonight's show, we have a wrap-up of the 2021 college football season. 
We have the beginning of the NBA season, and we also have the beginning of the National Hockey League season. What else do we have for the people tonight, Corbin? We also have the NFL playoffs. The first week of the NFL playoffs has concluded last weekend. We will give you an update on that, as well as the games to come tomorrow, Saturday, and also on Sunday. We have Sheffield United. Big news out of Sheffield United. Don't want to spoil anything for you football heads out there as far as football on the other side of the pond. And then, of course, we're going to end these show with everybody's favorite segment the unknown this week i will be in charge of the unknown so we'll have to put koenig through that and see what he can do (laughs) starting off the show we are going to go into college football for anybody who hasn't been paying attention the last month or so uh, (laughs) college football had wrapped up we had the final four of the college football playoff the final four teams were alabama clemson ohio state and notre dame the national championship ended up being alabama versus ohio state in a big battle of I don't know, the expected, I guess you could say. Alabama pretty much rolls Ohio State in that game. It was never really close. Alabama's best player, their wide receiver, Heisman Trophy winner, Devontae Smith, didn't play pretty much the entire second half, and they still easily rolled Ohio State. So Alabama is your 2021 NCAA football champions. Koenig, was it ever really in doubt, even before the final four games started being played, that Alabama wasn't going to win the national? national championship yeah i wasn't really surprised by the outcome alabama the crimson tide are consistently a team of men amongst boys year in and year out in the college football landscape i was really impressed with justin fields's performance in the sugar bowl against old sunshine trevor lawrence and the clemson tigers (laughs) i thought he really lit that team up all night long he had 22 completions for 385 yards and six count them corbin six touchdowns and i guess the secondary has kind of been clemson's achilles heel all season long so i guess i shouldn't be too surprised that he put up a line like that but after they won that game i'm thinking hmm he can play anywhere near that level against bama then maybe they might have a chance but in the end i think the crimson tide are just a different breed in college football these days like corbin said Alabama wins the national championship 52 to 24 and that game was pretty much a blowout from the onset yeah whether you're playing in the uh, championship game or a spring scrimmage if you're giving up 52 points you're gonna lose as Koenig mentioned in the Clemson Ohio State game Clemson was favored and a lot of people were saying that Clemson was going to win big over Ohio State and it was kind of the opposite script. People were saying that Ohio State's secondary wasn't very good and they took care of Clemson in that game and got to the national championship. But then turns out Ohio State's secondary wasn't very good because the Heisman Trophy winner Devontae Smith literally destroyed them single-handedly in the first half, so much so that the game was over pretty much at halftime. Congratulations to the Alabama Crimson Tide. Yet another national championship under their leader, Nick Saban. On the topic of Nick Saban, this is now his seventh, seven heaven, his seventh (laughs) national title as a head coach in Division I football. He has six with Alabama, one with LSU. With this newest championship, he actually becomes the all-time winningest head coach in college football history passing another alabama great bear bryant koenig with this seventh national championship for nick saban is it safe to say that he's the greatest college football coach of all time i think in my eyes saban has had 
a lot of good fortune because obviously the Crimson Tide are at the top of the recruiting spectrum every single year. You're recruiting top end players that are turning into NFL talents every single year. What was it that Mia Hamm used to say? Success breeds success. That's pretty much this Alabama program to a T. They continue to be successful. They continue to generate those top end picks in the NFL draft, and that attracts more players. The best players in high school football want to go to Alabama. As that team continues to win, it's easier for them to attract, get those best players in the country. But that being said, it's still incredibly difficult to have the success that Saban has had because sometimes players don't translate well between high school football and college football. It's a completely different game. pace of the game is much different and so you still have to do your job as a coach and with the coaching staff that he's put together to mold those players into the juggernaut that they are every single year yes i think his path is getting progressively more easy as alabama continues to win but you still have to give credit where it's due it's incredibly difficult to win in college football and saban is a winner he's been a winner everywhere he's been I think the discussion is pretty much over. There isn't much discussion to be had. I think he is the best coach in the history of college football. Corbin, what are your thoughts about that? The short answer, I'm going to say yes, but there's a lot that goes into it. Because if you look back on a coach like Bear Bryant, the coach that he passed as far as the all-time most championships in football, back then, they would vote on who the national champion was after the season had ended. And you could have a one loss and voters could still say, oh yeah, you know what, we're still going to pick you, you're the national champion. Especially now where you have to win two games just to be considered the national champions, you got to win your essentially your playing game to the national championship in that first of the final four matchup. And then obviously the championship game itself, not to mention the regular season. These days, if you lose once twice, you're pretty much screwed. If you lose once, it's really difficult to, to get into that final four. As Koenig mentioned, it really does come down to recruiting as most of the battle in college football these days. Just look at Alabama and Clemson the last five, 10 years. If you can recruit and you can recruit at a high level, talent will eventually win out. Yes, there are some players that you get that maybe aren't the highest recruits and you develop them and they turn into good players. When you're consistently bringing in highly ranked prospects and you're continuously flipping and turning them and turning them into better players, obviously you're going to win games over however long a period of time. Recruiting these days, it's a national game now. You know, it's not just Alabama's just not grabbing all these players out of the state of Alabama. They're going to Texas and California and Florida and the Midwest, and they're pretty much grabbing players from all over their place. Alabama's running back, Najee Harris, is from yeah. San Francisco. Right. I mean, they went all the way to, to Northern California to pull him to Alabama. Saban's an absolute master at recruiting, and obviously it's the results have come from that. They've always been atop of the recruiting boards the last decade, and it shows with six national championships. It's hard to say that that doesn't have a direct effect. Congratulations to Saban. There's a lot more that goes into it. As far as, is he the greatest coach of all time? But that's the whole different can of worms to open. I'm going to say yes. He's the man. I still don't really like Alabama, but good for them. <laughs> Fair enough. Koenig, I have a quick question for you as far as that final four. Again, that was Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Notre Dame. Do you think that the committee got it right with these final four teams? I definitely think that those were the most deserving teams, as much as I hate Notre Dame. 
There was some moaning and groaning from the group of five undefeated Cincinnati Bearcats who lost to ninth-ranked Georgia in the Peach Bowl. Then you had undefeated Coastal Carolina, who happened to be the best team in the Sun Belt this year, who lost to... (laughs) And Coastal Carolina, who lost to 23rd-ranked Liberty in the, uh, let me just check my notes here, the FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl. (laughs) Corbin, I'll give you one guess at where that bowl game is played. Say it one more time. The FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl had no fucking idea. You had no idea what the bowl game was or what the city was? The bowl game. I'd never even heard of this before. Okay, I'm just spitballing this. I haven't looked this up. I have no idea, but I'm going to say Memphis. Memphis is incorrect, but (laughs) they played this FBC Mortgage Cure Bowl in Orlando, Florida at the Camping World Stadium. That's where they play the FCS National Championship, don't they? Oh, no, that's that's in Texas. Don't they play another bowl game at Camping World Stadium? I want to say it's like the Outback Bowl, isn't that? Yeah, that sounds right. Yeah, I think it's in Orlando. I'm, I'm pretty sure it's the Outback Bowl. There's a little piece of trivia you'll probably never remember. <laughs> I was glad to see the undefeateds lose. You had the has-beens UCF Knights on Twitter, remember them, complaining about how the group of five gets no love in the college football playoff. That might be true, but it's like, no shit, dude. Either one of those teams, Cincinnati or Coastal Carolina, would have got their shit pushed in by whoever the fuck they played. No one wants to watch that. That's not captivating television. Yeah, if Alabama is going to beat Ohio State and put up 52 points, imagine uh, one versus four, Alabama versus Cincinnati. Like, that would have been into, like, the 60s and 70s. It would have been a trouncing. Yeah. And so when, I mean, eventually, does the college football playoff expand and you have one qualifier from each of eight conferences that may manage to get into the college football playoff? I don't know. But as of right now, when there's only four teams that get in, nobody wants to see a group of five team unless you are like that dude when Boise was playing in the frickin' Fiesta Bowl every single year back when they were like legit. Yeah. But no. I'm glad the undefeateds did not get in. I'm glad that they got their shit rocked in their bowl games. I think the committee got it right. Corbin, what about you? Oh, for sure. Some people were upset that Texas A&M didn't get in. I think you could have really just flipped the coin on them or Notre Dame. I mean, Notre Dame had beaten Clemson earlier in the year, and then Clemson beat them in the ACC title. So I don't know how you could pull one of those two teams out and leave one in. And I think the committee pretty much decided that like, okay, there's, we can't really justify taking either of these teams out because the only losses are against each other. A&M was playing catch up all year and they were just like, you know what? We're just, we're just going to keep A&M down. Yeah. Yeah, All these mid-major schools, what are they called? Not, not power five. What are they? All these group of five schools that were clamoring, like Koenig mentioned, the Cincinnati's of the world. The reason why you went undefeated this year, and maybe not necessarily Cincinnati, because I did think that Cincinnati was a good team for like Coastal Carolina. It's because you had no non-conference schedule. You didn't have to play power five teams. That's why you were undefeated. Don't come in here saying, oh, I was so, I'm so good. I'm so amazing. Look at BYU. Half their schedule was against FCS teams. They played Coastal Carolina and couldn't beat Coastal Carolina. And so that took them out of the running as far as, you know, the the final four. Koenig mentioned it. The current format where it's the final four teams, I think a brilliant idea, and you can agree or disagree. I think each Power Five conference should get 
automatic bid to the conference champion. Whoever wins the conference championship game automatically gets a bid. That's five. And then you have one group of five school that gets in. That's based on the voters. And so what the voters will do is they'll vote on the group of five that gets in for that sixth spot. And then they'll also vote on who they think the top two seeds are. That way, one and two will get a buy, three plays six, four plays five, and then boom, you're down to four teams like you are now. You kind of satisfy everybody. I don't think the Pac-12 has been up to snuff lately. A lot of people who watch Pac-12 say, well, the reason why we don't have these undefeated teams all the time is because the teams in the Pac-12 have a lot more parity than other teams do in other conferences. So it's not that the Pac-12 is bad. It's just all the teams are right neck and neck with each other. There's not a huge difference in like a completely dominant team to a completely terrible team. I think that kind of satisfies those people. It's like, okay, we won our conference championship. It meant something. We're going to the final six. I just think that'd be good for everybody. And I think six is the perfect number. I don't think any more than that is necessary. Kenny, what do you think about that? Yeah, I really like that idea. And I had a thought. Hold on. Beer's kicking in. <laughs> the stone. Yeah. The stone. <laughs> It'll come to me eventually. <laughs> I don't know. Probably not. All right. Well, do you want to just give your opinion on that? Like, do you like that idea of the six and the five power five champions and then the one group of five? Oh, I remember what I was going to say now. Yeah, I really like that idea. And an interesting thought about this whole expanded playoff, the NCAA is so enamored with money, right? Like, I'm shocked that this isn't already a thing. Have more high marquee games that can sell TV advertisements and make more money for the NCAA. Yes. Yes. So I think it's only a matter of time before this is a thing. Whether it's the format that Corbin suggested or something to that effect, I think an expanded playoff, it's only a matter of time before that happens. I do like the fact that you have an automatic one group of five team. So out of all of the big shot group of five schools, one of them gets in automatically. I think that's a really, really tasty idea. And I think it encourages group of five schools to really be aggressive in how they schedule their non-conference also. Exactly. um, Which makes for, I think, some better games. So I think it's definitely a win-win all the way around. So hopefully we see some expanded playoff going forward. You know, as far as bowl games, you know, there, there was a lot of just crappy bowl games. There's just so many of them these days. Not as many this year because a bunch of them got canceled because obvious reasons. You've got 30 bowl games and it's like, oh, who's going to win the Meineke Care Bowl between Tulsa and Northern Michigan? Like, uh, I don't know. Who, who cares, right? You know, like <laughs> even the fans don't care. The fans don't travel for the games. They probably don't even watch the game. I mean, shit, like it doesn't matter. It's just, I mean, it's cool for the players because they get to travel to a new destination and these sponsors give them a bunch of free shit and all that. So like, good for them. You know, the fans don't care. Recruits don't really care. It's like, oh, I'm going to go to Memphis now because they won the Meineke Bowl. Like, it's too much. The NCAA, like Koenig mentioned, should focus on larger, big scale bowls than just these like crappy, oh, we're going to have this bowl game because this team went six and six. Like that shouldn't be a reward. I feel like as far as bowl games go, it should only be the previous BCSs. Like you got the Rose Bowl, the Orange Bowl, the Sugar Bowl, the Cotton Bowl. Keep those bowl games. And then you've got your final six, if that were to be the situation. And that's it. There's no consolation like, oh, 
San Diego State, you finished seven and five this year. You're we're gonna reward you and you know make a big deal out of it. Like, no, I'm sorry. Like seven and five is not good enough. It's commendable that you had a winning season, but like we don't need to showcase this anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, I totally feel that. And like I said, it's all money. It's all a money game. Like the only reason these toilet bowl games exist is so the NCAA can make money off of advertisements. Nobody, well, I don't want to say nobody. I'm sure they're fans of these teams, but like the average college football fan is not going to sit down to watch like the Mac in a bowl game. It's all just a ploy, like I said earlier, to just make more money off of these hokey games on ESPN and sell more advertisement revenue. So like Corbin said, make the marquee games much bigger, make them larger scale. Enough with these consolation bowl games. I wasn't really interested in any of the games, to be completely honest, because I thought Alabama was just that much better than everybody else in the country this year. I would really be interested to see, I'm not saying Alabama could beat the Jacksonville Jaguars. <laughs> There's no fucking way. But I would definitely <laughs> like to see it. Okay, so obviously an, a professional football team should beat the best team oh in college my. football, right? Oh okay, well, this, I, have, I, have, I, have so many, I have so many comments to make on this, but this, go ahead and this, say what you're going to say. This might be the beer talking, but we'll go ahead with it anyway. Every year, the team that wins the Natty gets to play the worst team <laughs> in the <laughs> The, the worst team in the NFL. Oh I, I'm, my I mean, God. And, and here's the thing, right? Here's the thing. I'm very confident that Jacksonville would win. My curiosity is like, hmm, I wonder how close it would be. You know, it would not be close. Jacksonville would <laughs> Jackson, Jacksonville would win by 40, 50 points. Wow. Here's the here. Yeah, here's the reasoning. OK, first of all, the NFL, you have grown ass men who have been at their profession for some players are in the league five, 10 years, and they've been getting bigger and stronger and faster at the highest level rather than you're playing against some 19 year old sophomore from Alabama <laughs> like. There's no way. Just the line of scrimmage alone, the offensive and defensive lines would just absolutely get decimated on Alabama's end. Not to mention that all the players in Jacksonville were the best players on their team and in the country. And, you know, Alabama, like, there's obviously first-rounders that are going to come out of Alabama for sure. There's just no way, man. There's honestly... I would be surprised if Alabama got more than a field goal. I don't even think they would get into the end zone. I'm that confident. And I mean, yeah, let's be honest. Like I said before, I'm very confident Jacksonville would win. Like, how much better are they, really? Uh, a lot. A lot. They're a lot better. <laughs> Alabama does really well is they have their talent bar is just high enough to where they can exploit other teams. The margin for success in football isn't a whole lot comes down to it. Like, if you're a little bit better than the next guy, it should have an impact on that game based on your matchup. Alabama has been able to exploit that because they've got all these four or five star recruits, which again, these are high school players, you know, and then they get to college, they're 18, 19, 20, 21 years old. Over the course of a game, they exploit their opponents by whatever margin and then end up winning. The the gap in talent from an Alabama, you know, star to an NFL player is vastly higher <laughs> for the NFL player. 
it would get ugly. I'm telling you, it would be ugly. The, the trenches are definitely the key, right? Like grown ass, like 350 pound men that are experienced oh, that understand dude. like blocking schemes and everything. Like that's the key. That's where it would well, be. Well, not not to mention just like you hear it all the time when these offensive players come out of college and they oh they're having a tough time adjusting to NFL defenses and the blitzes and the packages and the coverages. It's like just that alone, yeah. like. You think Mac Jones right now could go up against an NFL defense? Like, no fucking way. I, I, personally, he... I personally don't think that Mac Jones is all that, but that's just me. Yeah, me too. I don't think he's very good. I think, but... you know, having the Heisman Trophy winner as one of your receivers is you know, maybe a, a big thing. He's the same Greg McElroy. Yeah. Um, who is the kid who wore number 10 for them? Oh, quarterback. Uh, he had the scar. That. He had the scar in it. McCarron. McCarron. AJ McCarron. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, he, that's what he is. He's a serviceable quarterback that will do just enough to execute the game plan at Alabama. That's what Mac Jones is. Yeah. I'm not mean to knock him because he is going to get drafted, but he'll never be a starter. I mean, shit, like he'll at best be a backup in the NFL and will play only when needed. Right. And his stat line, if you look at his stat line, we'll throw it up here in our YouTube video, his stat line from the national championship. He had great numbers, but how much of that was just Devontae Smith catching the ball in the open field and running it in for a touchdown or making I a mean, play? I mean, almost every reception that Devontae Smith had, he was open by 10 yards. I mean, he was wide open. I mean, I could have hit him with those <laughs> passes. I could have passed for like 300 yards in that game just by throwing it in the area of Devontae Smith. He he was wide ass open that entire game. Corbin and I were watching the game at the same time. And I remember texting him. How the fuck is Devonte Smith not double covered every fucking play? The best player in college football. You have got to take him away. Let Mac Jones beat you with somebody else. And he was wide open. Yeah. More often than not, wide open. Ohio State's game plan should have been double team Smith at all times. You bring over the strong safety and just have that. Try to neutralize him if you can. Stack the box enough where Najee Harris doesn't run clean through you. And just pray that nobody else on the team can make a play. Najee Harris is another phenomenal up-and-comer. We've been talking a lot about Derrick Henry this season. He just had his back-to-back 2,000-yard rush season. Look out for Najee Harris because I think he's like Derrick Henry 2.0. This kid is a more athletic Derrick Henry, if that's possible. He's not as big as Derrick Henry, and he doesn't necessarily... Derrick Henry, like, runs into contact because he's fucking enormous and he can take it, right? Like, right. he he's built like a NFL linebacker. Najee Harris is still really good size as far as, like, someone who can take a beating. He has elusiveness. He's and he can make, That's the perfect word for it. He's shiftier. He's going to be something special at the next level. Like, whoever lands him is going to have a really good back, as, you know, so long as he stays healthy. He's going to be a really good back at the next level for a long time. No doubt about it. So we will end it there. College football. Sing our swan song. We're done with college football for a while. That was we, a long-ass segment. <laughs> sure was. We'll make our way now into some professional sports. We are going to talk about the beginning of the NBA season, the association, as they say. NBA just kicked off. They're about 10 games into their season or so right now. For, obviously, the NBA last season, they operated in a bubble format down in Orlando for the second half of their season. This season, they're going back to home venues, obviously, without fans. Teams are traveling. They're on the road. Corbin, can the NBA season work? Will the NBA season finish without the bubble environment? I think it'll finish, but 
you're going to see the quality on the court suffer as far as players. The, the way the NBA has it designed right now is teams can still play so long as they have eight players who are available to play for these games. I think normally a travel roster is 12 players. So you could technically be down four players due to COVID or COVID tracing and still play. Well, we've already started to see that. There's been teams that have played with eight players that every team that's had to play with eight players so far have lost their games. Some of those players are their stars and they're good players. I think they're going to get it done. There's going to be rescheduled games and there already have been games that have been postponed that are going to need to be rescheduled. The records are going to be a little wonky because it's all going to depend on who's playing and if players aren't playing, who are those players who are not playing? I mean, that was kind of a weird way to say it, but you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, that's tough. I mean, like to say, okay, we're going to go out there and win an NBA game with only eight players and only bring three guys off the bench. Not to mention, you know, those three guys on the bench, they could be guys that are like the 11th and 12th man on your roster that like you just signed to have a full roster that yeah. guys who really don't belong in the nba they're more like practice players for you it's, it's gonna be curious i don't trust nba players to stay safe i'm sorry if that sounds terrible but i mean the average age in the nba every year gets younger and younger there's teams that have three four players that are under 22 years old like these guys they're gonna go out they're gonna or try to go out or you know see people <laughs> see women <laughs> yeah, i mean 100%. let's face it there's going to be a lot more of these situations where games get postponed and teams are understaffed but it's just kind of the way it is right now yeah i agree pretty much in all of those points i mean there's not a whole lot to disagree with there i think what made it so simple down in orlando at the end of last season is you're in a bubble like there's nowhere to go or if there is places to go by the end of the whole situation you've seen what you want to see like you're just going to be cooped up in your hotel or whatever and you're just kind of waiting until you're next game when you start traveling especially like corbin said with these younger guys they're going to want to see some of the city they're going to want to see all these places that they wouldn't normally see in their home market players are going to go out and they're not going to be able to be as safe in a bubble format i think time will tell uh, like Corbin said, a few games have already been postponed. You know, the Celtics had a game recently postponed. Jason Tatum, amongst other players that have gotten on the COVID-19 list. It makes you wonder, though, when I'm looking at these game postponements, I'm having, like, flashbacks to an uglier version of the Major League Baseball season. Because <laughs> at least with baseball, if you had a couple guys out, you can make it up, right? You had a deep enough roster that you could still perform and still put out a quality product. If you've got three, four, or five guys on your NBA roster having to miss because of the COVID thing, and like Corbin said, you had to have a minimum of eight, I really could see this getting bad in the NBA season if players aren't careful. I could really see a lot of canceled games this season yeah i mean that eight players that's without a third of your entire team yeah. a third that's nuts it's just the situation that we're in right now i'm fingers crossed that we have as little of that as possible i want to see these full rosters i want to see these games played because i don't want there to be any excuses at the end of the season from teams like oh well things would have been different if this or that and it's like nah i just you know i i hope it doesn't come down to people making excuses or teams making excuses for why they ended up where they were or things like that but i thought it'd be a kind of a cool thing to give a a prediction hmm. for who you think is going to be the best team in the nba record wise 
who is also going to be the worst team in the league record-wise at the end of the season. So is it a 72-game season they have planned right now? I think so. Yeah, I think that's right. It's not 82 because they shortened it so that they can make the Summer Olympics in Tokyo. Right. But I'm I'm almost positive that it's 72 games. Who do you think is going to have the worst record in the NBA and who's going to have the best record in the NBA when it's all said and done? So I really think that the Lakers are the best team in the league by a country mile. I could easily see them winning 60 or more games this year. Even even in a shortened season, I could still see the Lakers winning over 60 games. They're that good. Wow. And as far as the worst team, I think I would have to say the Pistons. (laughs) I honestly couldn't even tell you a single player that plays on the Pistons. No, actually, I uh, I take that back. I think Blake Griffin plays on the Pistons. He does. If I remember. Yes. But he, he looks yes. terrible. He has not played well at all since leaving Los Angeles. Oh, as soon as he left LA, he fucking checked out. He's like, I'm going to Detroit. <laughs> yeah, this dude. And I think right as of this recording, the Pistons are two and nine and they've cemented themselves in last place. I really don't think they have very many quality players. I think Derek Rose also plays for that team, but he sucks too. That's definitely my best and worst Corbin Hood do you have your eyes on this year? Well, I was going to say the Pistons until you did. And <laughs> sadly, sadly, the Suns blew a game to the Pistons and lost to the Pistons this year. But oh, no. the Suns are seven and four. They're seven and four. Shit happens. I'm not going to say the Pistons. Instead, I'm going to say Minnesota, man. Ooh, this yeah. is a team that are at the bottom of the West right now. I don't know what it is about Minnesota. It's like it's the land dismay. I mean, disappointment. <laughs> There's just something about Minnesota that no matter who's there, I mean, they have some decent players on paper. They got Anthony Towns, D'Angelo Russell. They've got Ricky Rubio. I don't know, man. Like That environment, these players, I mean, it's going to sound terrible, but like a lot of these players in the league don't come from ice cold temperatures and settings like that. Players are like, I don't want to be in Minnesota freezing my ass off for yeah. pretty much the entire season because normally the season runs from, what, October to April before the playoffs kick in right and that's pretty much the coldest goddamn time in in minnesota i don't know man i just there's something about minnesota that just breaks players down i think they're gonna finish with the worst record and then the best record and i i will piggyback off of you it's going to be the lakers just because they're clearly the best team in the league yeah i think that's where they're gonna end up so one final prediction before we hop into our next segment we picked the best team in the league and the worst team in the league as far as an early conference finals prediction in the western conference i picked this going into last season's playoffs i picked the lakers clippers matchup i wanted it last year i think we get it this year the all la matchup give it to us we want it and in the east i think it's a little murkier but i'll say celtics and brooklyn the brooklyn nets they've had kind of a rocky start to the beginning of their year Kyrie's kind of a nut case but I'll pick the Celtics and the Nets in the East. All right. All right. I like those picks. I'm going to stick in the Eastern Conference. I do like the Boston Celtics in the Eastern Conference Finals. Yes, sir. I... I've got a feeling on Philadelphia this year. Okay. I don't ask me how or why because I really don't know, but I've just got like a hunch on Philly right now. They're nine and four with the second best record in the conference. They're only one game behind Boston, who's number one. Trust um, the process. I think with them getting Doc Rivers, that's going to be a huge improvement for them as far as just you know overall coaching staff. I think Embiid. As much as I don't like the guy because I think he's kind of a clown, I think Embiid is going to finally take that step to be 
a really great player and a really great big in this league. So I'm I like the Celtics and I like the 76ers in the Western Conference. You know, this is a total homer call here. <laughs> I knew. Obviously, it. L.A. Lakers and Phoenix Suns, baby. The Phoenix Suns. <laughs> the, the Phoenix Suns are going to the Western Conference Finals. I think if you compare their roster as far as matchups to the Clippers, I actually think that they're a better team than the Clippers. Both teams have played each other twice this year and they've split. So they're one and one in their games this year, which, you know, doesn't really mean anything early in the season. If the Suns can develop DeAndre Ayton or if DeAndre Ayton can just show them a little bit of why they picked them at number one. Him, Chris Paul has been amazing for the Suns. Crowder has been awesome for the Suns as an addition. Obviously, Devin Booker is, I think he's a superstar now. It just depends on who you ask. People just don't know much about Devin Booker because the Suns have been terrible for so long. But the Suns are 7-4 and four, right there at the top of the Western Conference right now. I'm telling you, man. <laughs> they have a great coach in Monty Williams. I'm telling you, the Suns, they're not going to win. They're going to get smoked <laughs> in the Western Conference Finals, but they're going to go into the Western Conference Finals. All right, fair enough. Picking backing, speaking of Joel Embiid, we actually just had a flashback to the year the Aztecs went into Fog Allen Fieldhouse a few years ago and beat Joel Embiid and Andrew Wiggins' Kansas Jayhawks. Rub a little salt in the time machine wounds <laughs> of the Kansas Jayhawks. Not that they give a shit about the Aztecs, to be honest. We will keep you posted on what's going on with the NBA and to keep you posted on our predictions throughout the season we do want to transition into our next major sport that just began the national hockey league season my favorite as far as the nhl season goes we have 116 consecutive days of hockey not that the teams play every single day but <laughs> there is at least one game every day for the next 116 days so corbin do you like this condensed schedule i mean the schedule is what it is you know there was a delayed start because you know last season got delayed for however long and then they picked it back up for the playoffs they had to have somewhat of a break before they could start the season again as far as the nhl getting that exposure i love this 116 games straight and if the nhl was smart enough and i don't know if they are they should have some kind of deal in place with these cable companies, these satellite companies to have at least one game on every day, just so they have that exposure of their sport and people can see these games being played, whether or not they're the same team or not. I also love hockey. I think hockey is the best sport to watch live when you're there. I don't think it comes even close to anything else. Like I said, the 116 games straight is born from, you know, they had to smush a schedule into a smaller time period. So that's why you're seeing these condensed games. And there's teams that are playing back to backs and playing three games every four or five nights. And yeah. And as a fan, you love the jam pack schedule. Hockey is far and away my favorite sport. Being able to say that there's a game on every single night is amazing. But I think you really have to worry about the players playing that many games in such a condensed schedule because hockey is such a physical game and it requires so much of your lower body strength that it's definitely going to take a toll on players over the course of the season like how many times have you watched hockey on television and you hear the commentators saying like oh they don't have their skating legs tonight after playing a back-to-back -back or 
or two games in three nights. And you're going to see a lot of that this year. And so I'm hopeful that the product on the ice doesn't fall apart because Gary Bettman needed to pack a full season worth of games in two to three less months than they would normally have. But I'm also really worried about injury. Players are exerting themselves at a high rate or a similar rate to what they have in previous seasons, but they're missing out on the important aspect in NHL season, which is recovery, which is so important is being able to rest and get the ice bath and getting you know your legs back under you. I have a lot of faith in the team doctors to make sure that these players are in peak condition. It's just only natural that playing that many games in such a small time frame, their bodies are really going to break down. So I'm hopeful that we don't see any like really nasty injuries this year yeah it's definitely going to be an up and down season for that reason there there's going to be injuries there's going to be fatigue in this season so it's going to be up and down for sure but you're going to see the cream rise to the top as far as i think the teams that are the best teams in the league are going to end up there at the end of the season as far as the standings go so i think it will sort itself out with that, like we did in our NBA segment, I did want to get Kaney's opinion on who he thinks the best team in the NHL is going to be this year based on points and who the worst team is going to be in the NHL. Koenig, your thoughts? Yeah, so for the best record in the league, I'm actually going to pick the Philadelphia Flyers. Ooh. I think this was a team that was really on the rise at the end of last season. They kind of ran into a juggernaut in the playoffs. They didn't add any notable names in the offseason. They didn't really lose anybody, though, either, which is really promising. I think they lost defenseman Matt Niskanen, who retired in the offseason. But other than that, they're returning the same team that was surging at the end of the season. Corbin, I think you mentioned them as your favorites going into last season's postseason. So I think I really like their chances to be a top team and maybe they add a couple forwards at the trade deadline, you know, to make themselves a little deadlier, a little bit more deep across all four lines. I think for the worst team, this one's easy. I think it's easily the Detroit Red Wings. <laughs> it's it's not good in Detroit. The Pistons are bad and, and the Detroit Red Wings are even worse. They added a couple defensemen in, in the offseason and they have a better 10D than they did last year. So that should help them kind of get out of the basement for where they actually led the league in total goals conceded last year at 265, which is 27 more goals conceded than the next closest team. They were very, very bad defensively. So obviously, with the signing of um, like Mark Stahl and other veteran players, defensemen, and a better goaltender, I think you'll see a slight improvement there. But the Detroit Red Wings are still the worst team in the NHL. It's so crazy because when we were growing up, I mean, Detroit was a powerhouse. You know, Hockey Town USA, yeah. they had some of the best players, you know. Osgood and Chelios and Lindstrom and just like I mean they were just loaded Iserman. with talent. Yeah. Hey Iserman, yeah. I mean the list goes on and they were consistently a threat to win the cup for like a decade, I felt like. It was yeah. a long time and now they're like you mentioned, they're easily one of the worst teams in the league. I was gonna say them, but for the sake of not agreeing with you on everything, I'm gonna say Ottawa sucks. Too. They're yeah, they're really bad. Detroit is They're the worst team in the NHL. It's pretty evident. But I think Ottawa is a clear number two. I think Ottawa's terrible. They're going to finish really low. As far as best record, and I hate picking the easy pick, I think it's going to be the Tampa Bay Lightning again. I know that Kucherov is out for the year with a hip injury. I don't really think it matters. That team is so loaded as far as like their talent across the board. They have depth. They have 
arguably the biggest rising star in the league in Braden Point. They've got outstanding goaltending. It's not going to be by a lot. They're not going to blow out everybody and be the best team by like 20 points like they have been some years. I do think that it's going to be Tampa Bay as far as the best team in the East. So in terms of the early conference finals prediction, in the Eastern Conference, I'm going to go with the Flyers and the Lightning. I do think that those two teams will probably finish 1-2 in the East. I do probably have a team like the Bruins in third. There's a couple question marks there. I think Pasternak is still making his way back from an offseason injury. They won their opening game in the shootout last night against the Devils, which was far from impressive, I will say. (laughs) And in the Western Conference, I really like the Colorado Avalanche this year. I like the Colorado Avalanche a lot last year. I also think it'll be another bounce back here for the Vegas Golden Knights, just because, you know, fuck the Blues, I guess. Corbin, what do you got? In Eastern Conference, I've got, I think Tampa Bay will be in the Eastern Finals. And I do agree with you. I think it's going to be Philadelphia. I think Philadelphia is the second best team right now in the league. So I like Tampa Bay, Philly in the East. In the West, slightly different. I do agree on Vegas, but I'd say St. Louis. It's a very small margin, though. Like Colorado could definitely get there. They're a really great team. St. Louis has proven they won a cup two seasons ago. I'll take them as of right now. So that's, that's where I'm at. And St. Louis actually added, this pains me to say, they added Tory Krug in the offseason. I think he yeah. gets like seven years, like $49 million or something like that. Which in the grand scheme of things in all the sports is not really a whole lot of money, but for the NHL, that's a good payday. If you yeah. can get anything close to $10 million a year, that's a good contract. Yeah, that's big money. Obviously, the MLB, they pay out massive deals. And you even see this a lot in the NBA as well. Top tier talent in the NHL, if you're making over a million dollars a year, you're a very, very serviceable player. And, you know, Tory Krug, to his credit, he went out and got seven, eight million dollar a year deal. So we'll see how that plays out for the Blues. We'll see how it plays out for the Bruins. Obviously, the Bruins lose Zdeno Chara to the Capitals as well. That's an interesting situation. He, he is washed up. It's sad that he didn't retire as a Bruin because yeah. he should have. Yeah. I don't know if this is like a power move on him being like, oh, well, I'll go play for the Capitals because you don't want me. Like, Chara, you can barely skate, dude. Like, come on. (laughs) It was, I think it was a playing time thing because the Bruins weren't even like guaranteeing he was going to play in the top line. Like, he was going to be a reserve and he would get like 14, 15 minutes a game. He played the other night for the Capitals. They played him 21 minutes in that game. For Chara being in his like mid 40s, the dude is a total traffic cone out there, by the way. I love the guy. Like, he'll always be one of my favorite all time Bruins. But when your career is done, it's done. I love you, but you got to know when to hang up the skates. The guy, when he skates out there, he looks like a Toyota Yaris towing, I don't know, <laughs> fucking like grocery store or something. He's, he's so slow. Like, obviously, the culmination of his career, a total stud. Come on, dude. You got to hang it up. You got to hang it up. Well, and here's the thing. Like, he's a defenseman, right? So for the people who aren't familiar with hockey, Zdeno Chara is like a seven-foot defenseman from the Czech Republic. Today's NHL is, you know, you have players who skate much better and are much more skilled and they're faster. And it just exposes all of Chara's weaknesses. When I say he's a traffic cone, they skate right by him. You know, I think the thing that the Bruins will miss the most this year, and we saw this a little bit against the Devils last night, this would have been a Thursday night and for the opening game of the season, is their players were having a run at Tuka Rask, and Tuka Rask is back, by the way. 
uh, after his uh, medical emergency at the end of last season with his family. Thank goodness that all is fine and dandy and that his daughter is doing well. We're happy to see that. As far as the Bruins, these New Jersey Devils players were just having to run at RAS the entire night. And I'm just sitting there waiting for one of our players to like kick somebody's teeth down their throat. You know what I mean? <laughs> and and that's what Zdeno Chara was for his entire career with the Bruins. The Bruins were not to be intimidated because we had a guy out there who was literally, I guess they're going to call him like the Washington Monument with the Capitals. Which <laughs> I, I don't know how to feel about that. I don't know how you can give a guy a nickname and he hasn't even played one full season for your team. <laughs> I don't want to like jet on the Capitals parade, but I think their sights are a little bit too high on Chara. I think his better years are far, far behind him. We will leave the NHL for now. We'll keep you posted on the latest and greatest from the National Hockey League season as the season progresses. We are going to move into everybody's favorite sport, obviously, the National Football League season. Before we get into our discussion of the playoffs, I did want to add just a little bit of a drama alert to the beginning of this NFL segment, and we'll flash back to week 17, the culmination of the race or the worst in the NFC East. Corbin and I were predicting this all season long, that it was going to come down to the final game of the season and that one of these teams would make the playoffs and they wouldn't be 500. They set the stage and basically the Giants win their game. They finish the year at 6-10. and 10. The stipulation is if the Philadelphia Eagles win on Sunday night football against the Washington football team, then the Philadelphia Eagles have knocked the football team out of the playoffs and the Giants make the playoffs and host a first round playoff game at 6 wins and 10 losses, <laughs> which God bless them. The Philadelphia Eagles, Doug Peterson, ends up pulling Jalen Hurts from that game. For all intents and purposes, the Eagles basically throw the game, and they lose the game pretty much intentionally. Football team makes the playoffs. We're all happy that football team is in. And the Giants are on Twitter, and they're not happy. We'll throw up some tweets from various players with the Giants Association so you can see what they had to say. I'm sitting here like... Okay, I get what you're saying. I understand you're not happy. You had to rely on somebody else to win so you could get in. But give me a fucking break, dude. You guys finished with six wins in an NFC East where you got to play six of your games, six out of your 16 games, you got to play against the worst teams in the NFL because all of those teams are amongst the worst teams in the league. And you're pissed because... The Eagles lost a game that would have given you a position in the playoffs. Bitch, you don't deserve to be in the playoffs at 6-10, and 10, right? Exactly. You know what? You're upset. Then don't win six games. You know you're in a bad spot when you need to win and you need a team to lose. Like, you're already in a tight spot right there. It makes it even worse when you're 6-10 and 10, hoping a team loses so you can get into the playoffs as a division winner. No, I understand that they're upset that Philadelphia potentially threw this game, which they probably did. And rightfully so. When you're out of the playoffs like Philadelphia was, it doesn't do you any good to win. At that point, you need to lose to solidify your draft pick, get as high as a draft pick as you can, and then move into the offseason. Again, Giants, the fact that you put all your eggs in a basket for another team to dictate your outcome, go fuck yourselves. Like, you were six and ten. Like maybe don't start the year zero oh and five. 
Don't start God. the year 0 and 5. How about that? Maybe if you didn't start the year 0 and 5 and finish 6 and 10, you wouldn't have to worry about that, but you did. Fuck off and deal with it. And here's the thing. Doug Peterson ceremoniously loses his job for tanking in that game. He's, what, three or four years removed from winning a Super Bowl? He tanks to give you a better pick in the draft because the Eagles have nothing to play for. If they win the game, they're actually punished because they get a worse draft pick by a significant margin. I think they would have fell like five spots in the draft if they won that game. Doug Peterson loses his job and on we march into the playoffs. The Washington football team is your NFC East champion at seven and nine. I further looked into it. I don't mean to interrupt you here, but go for it. At one point, the Giants were one and seven. So Jesus. So they finished like, the year five and three and thought they deserved to get in. Yeah. 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 You always hear it all the time. Like, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. Well, when you start in one and seven, it's kind of how you start, too. So, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so on we march into the playoffs. It's a little bit of a different playoff format. Normally in a standard season, you'd have two teams that get a first round by the season. You only get one. There's an extra wild card team. Correct. So instead of two wild card teams, there's three wild card teams. Right. So in terms of the format, I for one am not a fan of the buy at all. I wish they would do away with the buy altogether. I think you just make it an even number of teams like it is in every other sport and let everyone have a first round game. I don't understand this concept of first round buys. I think it actually plays to the disadvantage of teams. And we've seen this in years past where titans they go in and they beat the patriots and then they go into baltimore and they beat a one-seeded baltimore team that sat on their ass and they had their bye and that team with all of the momentum carried that into their next game get away from the buys no one wants to see a team watch just like you made the playoffs go play the games I like the buy. i like it how it is right now i hated it when it was oh the top two seeds get a buy. like why do you get a buy if you're the second best team in the conference there should be a reward for being the top team in the conference. Now, like you mentioned, in other sports, the number one team and the number two team have to play first round matchups. The only difference is in the NFL, it's single game elimination. True. You're not playing you know, a five or seven game series, but you could afford to knock off some of the rust and get back into a series if you, if you know lay an egg. Good point. I do think that there should be a prize for how grueling the NFL season is. If you're the number one team, you should be able to get that buy, get that rest. I like that. I didn't like how it was before. I didn't like how the second team from each conference got a buy as well. I think that was dumb. There should be a reward for the best team for each conference. So I'm okay with it. I'm especially okay with it because you get an extra wild card team and you get an extra game. So yeah. you've got three games on Saturday and three games on Sunday for that first week of the NFL playoffs. And it actually pans out brilliantly. You get a game at like 10 in the morning. And then you get a game at like two o'clock and then you get a game at like six o'clock. So you you get this perfect transition throughout your day. And, you know, they're all major networks. They're on either CBS or Fox or ESPN. I don't know. It was just a really enjoyable, like, even though I had no rooting interest in the first round matchups, I, th I thought it was great. I thought it was a terrific format. I'm OK with the buy. I understand people who don't like it, but, you know, this just personal preference, I guess. Sure. Just to kind of recap the first round here. These were all wild card games. Three division winners that played three wildcard teams. The Buffalo Bills, who a lot of people are high on right now, they're the number two overall seed in the AFC. They pull out a squeaker against the Indianapolis Colts, 
in an NFC matchup, kind of an upset, if you will. The LA Rams beat the Seattle Seahawks 30 to 20. And the Rams, they started the game with their backup quarterback, and then he went to the hospital. And then they brought in Jared Goff, who had a broken thumb, and they still ended up beating Seattle, which was pretty wild. Yeah. Uh, you had the Tampa Bay Buccaneers beating the Washington football team. And then on Sunday, the, the second game, you had the Ravens beating the Tennessee Titans, and then the Saints beating the Bears. The Browns beating the Steelers for the first time in, what was it, 27 years, something Yeah, like 26 like years, I think, yeah. 25-plus years that the Browns had won a playoff game, and they finally win a game, and albeit against one of their big division rivals in the Steelers, yeah. so good for them. The of Browns these- is the Browns. Browns is the Browns! <laughs> of these games here, Koenig, did anything stick out to you as far as what happened any surprises anything to look forward to going into this coming weekend i had a couple surprises that stood out in the wild card weekend i thought taylor heineke played exceptionally well for the washington football team in a losing effort but i was still surprised at how well he played i thought he had some incredible plays it's an incredible show of athleticism this dude was playing in the xfl for the St. Louis Battlehawks at the beginning of the season, and he didn't even play. This dude sat on the bench in the XFL. This dude, Heineke, was taking math classes at Old Dominion, and he had to ask professor's permission to take his final exam after the NFL season so he could play football. (laughs) But I thought he looked very good. Whether he is the guy in Washington, I think Alex Smith comes back and it's his team next year. Obviously, Haskins is gone. Oh, Um, yeah, Haskins is long gone. But uh, Heineke will be the backup for sure, unless he lands somewhere else on his feet. I I wouldn't mind him with the Patriots, just saying. I think my other big surprise was the Seahawks, and not necessarily that they lost, but like how they lost. What the hell happened to our guy, Russell Wilson, and the Seahawks? I remember... In weeks four and five at the beginning of the season, we're on the record of this podcast saying, how the hell does Russell Wilson not have a single MVP vote in his career? And then you watch the second half of the season, they said, oh, I see why. (laughs) So like Corbin said, the Rams started John Wolford at quarterback and he gets injured by a really nasty hit from Jamal Adams. If you haven't seen it, look it up on YouTube. Jamal Adams hit on John Wolford. Really, really late hit. John Wolford's kind of going to the ground and Adams hits him in the head and kind of messes up his neck. So here comes Jared Goff, broken thumb and all. And I'm thinking at this point in the game, I was like, there is no way Jared Goff and his broken thumb are going to beat the Seahawks. (laughs) Credit to the Rams defense, dude. Aaron Donald, he's a monster. The Rams defense found a way to keep Seattle off the score sheet. That's the story in the game. Jared Goff can't even grip the football. He's got a broken thumb. He can't even grip the football, but they found a way to win. I was surprised that Seattle went out that way. Corbin, did you see anything from wildcard weekend that was surprising to you? I expected the Seahawks to win that game against the Rams. If you look at it with that Rams team, in my opinion, they have the two best players on their defense in Jalen Ramsey and Aaron Donald. Yeah. I can comfortably say that if you took all the defensive players in the NFL, those guys are one and two, regardless of position. Seattle, when I watch Seattle, I think the problem with Seattle is they just don't have enough firepower to really run deep in the playoffs. Like, I feel like Russell Wilson is good enough in the regular season where he can consistently win you eight, nine, ten games and get you into the playoffs. 
when they match up against these marquee teams lately, it just doesn't seem like they have essentially no running game. Like no, yeah. no offense to Chris Carson. Come on. You know, a lot of people are high on Metcalf and Lockett's a decent player. But besides that, there's just really nothing on that offense for, for Russell Wilson to go to. You know, in the moment, it was surprising. But then kind of when you analyze it a little bit more, it's like, OK, well, I can kind of see how this happened. I thought it was impressive that Washington football team didn't get blown out by the Buccaneers. Yeah. I thought Heineke looked good, as Koenig mentioned. I think it was kind of a mix of things. I, I don't think the Buccaneers had really any kind of scouting report on him. And they definitely didn't account for his mobility, which created a lot of chances for Washington. I absolutely hated the Nickelodeon coverage of the Saints Bears game. That was the most. I mean, I understand. It is so bad. For for people who don't know that this ever existed, and hopefully it never will again, Nickelodeon, the children's programming network, somehow got the rights to broadcast the Saints and Bears game, also CBS. So it was on two major networks at the same time. Nickelodeon, again, this is the same network that brought you SpongeBob and other, you know, fantastic (laughs) animated shows. It was just so gimmicky. And I guess they're trying to, you know, they're trying to get the attention of kids to watch football. Yeah. And they're doing it in the most like childlike possible. Like when a team scores, they throw these really cheesy green cannons. Yeah. Yeah. Like green screen animations in the end zone that are squirting slime, which is like a Nickelodeon thing. And the broadcasters are, are talking like nobody knows what football is. They're explaining everything. Like people are cavemen. It was brutal. The bears really didn't do jack shit the entire game. They, they scored a touchdown late, which was a complete whoop de doo Like the game was totally over by then. Nickelodeon does a player of the game voted on by the kids and they vote Mitchell Trubisky, the game MVP. <laughs> the, the guy played absolutely terrible the entire game. And it took Jimmy Graham making this ridiculous one-handed catch for a touchdown for him to even get one touchdown in the game. And it was just like, oh, God, these kids don't even know what the fuck's going on. Pretty much what happened was, you know, Chicago's a bigger market than New Orleans is. So a bunch of kids in Chicago voted for Mitchell Trubisky, not realizing that he sucks. And it was just like, okay. <laughs> People um, people were blowing up on Twitter about it. I had to turn it on to see what all the hype was about. And I think I watched about 30 seconds of the coverage before I switched back to CBS. It was so cringe. It was so bad. It was like, for me, it was a train wreck. I couldn't stop watching. I was like, I have to watch this <laughs> because I know it's going to get worse. And I just have to see it for myself. And it did. The entire game was just brutally. The commentators were like 18-year-old girls talking about football. And they had no clue what was going on, which... You know, I don't care if you're male or female, but like at least know what you're talking about, you know? And it yeah. was just like, it was just very childlike. And it was, it is I on a children's station. <laughs> I know, I know. And like, that's, it's so weird because it's so new and it's so different, but like, not my cup of tea. Like, if there's ever a game broadcasted on Nickelodeon Network again, I'm not watching that shit. It was definitely not for me, also. But I mean, thank God that CBS was carrying it also. I had to listen to Jim Nance, and I was like, you know what, that's fine. I'll listen to Jim Nance. (laughs) But this Nickelodeon coverage, if it was only Nickelodeon and we were forced to watch it that way, I was going to have a serious problem. Yeah, that's a good point. Moving on to the divisional round, and this is starting as of tomorrow. Today is Friday. Tomorrow is Saturday. There's two games on tomorrow in the NFC. We've got the Rams and the Packers. The Packers were the number one seed, so they got the first round bye. And then in the AFC, we have the Ravens and the Bills. 
Koenig, what are your thoughts on those matchups? Who do you like in those matchups? So I think that the two primetime games are must-see television. Saturday, we get the Ravens and the Bills, and I've heard that this is going to be a bit of a snow game. Looking at the uh, forecast for Orchard Park, it sounds like they're going to get a few inches worth of accumulation. It kind of makes you wonder how Lamar is going to contend with that. He generally doesn't play well in the snow. However, you know, takes away a lot of athleticism from a lot of players on both sides of the ball. I think you're going to see a lot of Mark Andrews in this game. He's been Lamar's kind of go-to target, especially in a game in the snow, especially if it gets ugly in the snow. I think you're going to see a lot of checkdowns to the tight ends, a lot of just short passes, obviously. You're going to see a lot of the running game, but, you know, it's hard to plant and move, and, and that's what Lamar does so well, right? He's able to get out into space, and he can cut, and he's shifty, and, and you lose all ability to do that, obviously, in the snow, or at least you're less effective at doing that. I'll be interested to see how that plays out in Orchard Park. I am going to stick with my preseason prediction. I predicted that the Ravens would win the AFC, actually, uh, and go to the Super Bowl this year and kind of finish the job they couldn't get done last season. Obviously, they have a lot to contend with. The Bills are no chump. And then if you get through the Bills, I'm assuming you're going to have the Chiefs waiting for you. The road is very difficult for Lamar and the Ravens. And so on Sunday Night Football, or I guess it's, Technically, like Sunday afternoon football. You have Brady and Breeze round three. So Drew Breeze wins the first two contests during the regular season in fairly convincing fashion, I'd say. But this is going to be a really tight game between two Goliaths at the quarterback position. I really want to pick my guy Brady. I just think the Saints were my pick to win the NFC in the preseason. And I, I do think they'll win that game. I hope I'm wrong. What I really want, really, really quickly, what I really want in a hypothetical situation is I want the Bills to make it back to the Super Bowl. And I want everybody in Orchard Park and upstate New York to be like, yes, the Bills back in the back in the Super Bowl. <laughs> and then I want Tom Brady and the Buccaneers to be there. <laughs> just, just so Tom Brady can just stick it to the Bills one more time. That would be so great to me. Anyways, I will pick the Saints, though. And then the Rams-Packers game. I think this one we're supposed to get some snow also. Uh, it's hard to say how the one seeds are going to come off of the bye. You never really know. Aaron Rodgers is just on another level this season. Jared Goff has been named the starting quarterback for that game. He's still injured. He still has a broken thumb. That situation has not improved so i don't really envision a scenario where green bay would actually lose to the rams i think that'll be a pretty comfortable game i don't think that'll be very enjoyable actually i think the packers will run away with it and then you have the browns and the chiefs corbin i know has kind of been a uh, a cheerleader for kansas city this season <laughs> and i noted a couple interesting stats on my way to work this morning i was doing some research in traffic there's a couple interesting stats that stuck out this year so believe it or not patrick mahomes leads the league in dropped interceptions this season i was surprised to know that and the number is actually 16 i, can't, I don't believe that 16 Six, dropped interceptions 16 dropped interceptions so he has a 38 to 6 touchdown to interception ratio 16 catchable balls technically could be far worse than that and you know maybe that makes a difference in a close game maybe it doesn't but i thought it was an interesting stat anyway you know what they say good teams win but great teams cover kansas city has not covered their spread since week nine i will say it's possible that some of that might be artificially inflated i think that some of the bookies in vegas are a little overly high on the chiefs 
Uh, not to say that they're not a good team, because obviously the Chiefs are a very, very good team. But they're predicting them to win these games by far more than what might be reasonable. So I think that the Chiefs are favored against the Browns by 10 points this yes, weekend. Yep. Okay. I think the Browns are playing with house money in this game. I don't think anyone actually expects them to win this game. So you could see a lot of just gimmicky set plays and trick formations and whatever it takes basically for Baker Mayfield and the Browns. Do think the Chiefs will win, but I think the Browns will cover. I think it'll be a close game, actually. Maybe a seven-point game, nine-point game, something like that. So those are my picks in the divisional round. Corbin, what do you got? Okay, so I'm going to go NFC first, and then we'll end with the AFC. So we'll start with the Rams-Packers game. If the Rams had a healthy starting quarterback, which they don't, I would actually lean for them to maybe upset the Packers. They don't have a healthy quarterback right now, and they're going to play Goff with He's got a broken thumb from what it sounds like from all the reports. So I'm going to take the Packers in that game. I think it's going to be close, though. I think that Rams defense is going to give the Packers more than enough to handle. I think the Packers are just going to sweep that one out. In the Buccaneers-Saints one, this one's tough because the Saints have beat the Buccaneers twice this year. A week one, and albeit it's week one, it's kind of tough, tough to gauge week one. The Saints won 34 to 23. And then in week nine, the Saints crushed the Bucks 38 to three. Yeah. It's so, so hard to beat the same team three times in a year. The, the Buccaneers went from, okay, like you lost by two scores, you know, 10, 11 points to getting absolutely dismantled by the Saints. I'm going to say the Saints in that game. I think it'll be close. I think it'll be within a score, maybe 10 points. I think the Saints are going to win. In the AFC, I think the Ravens are going to beat the Bills. I think the Bills should have lost last week to Indianapolis. We were talking about this before the show, Koenig. The Colts in that game had a first and goal on like the four or five yard line of the Bills right before the halftime. Went for it on all four downs, got nothing out of it, no points. The Bills got the ball back, went right back down the other way and scored a touchdown. It was at least a 10 point swing if Indianapolis would have at least kicked a field goal. The Bills win that game by three points. So they were lucky just to get out of that game against Indy. I think the Ravens are going to pull that one off. I was high on the Bills until I saw them play Indy, and they didn't look that great against Indy. So I like the way that the Ravens look compared to the Bills right now. And I know what you're saying about these regular season stats for the Chiefs, but this is the playoffs, and these are the this is the NFL champions, reigning champions. I think the Chiefs are going to win by at least 14 points. I think they're going to win by at least two touchdowns in this game. And I wouldn't be surprised if they absolutely dismember the Browns. I'm telling you, I do be not surprised if the Chiefs come out and just take apart the Browns. Well, there you go. You can retroactively <laughs> bet on the Cleveland Browns to not cover the spread. <laughs> bet your mortgage on that. So we'll see how it goes. I think all the games will be intriguing, whether it's the weather or whether it's the matchups. I think there's a lot to watch. and. Like Corbin said, what was so great about the wild card round is that, you know, I was basically glued to my television all weekend because one game led into the next, which led into the next. Basically, both days I was home from work. And so I think you'll get a little bit more of that. Uh, obviously, only two games um, per day, but still, both games should be very, very good before we head into the championship round next weekend. And we'll obviously have that covered for you. 
Before we head into our last sports update, we did want to give a brief prediction on the MVP. And I really don't think there's any discussion. I'm pretty, I'd put very, very good money on the fact that Aaron Rodgers will win the NFL MVP this year. The guy has been an absolute unit all season. He has 70% completion percentage, nearly 4,300 yards with 48 touchdowns and five interceptions. And doing it with, just decent players not like standout stars obviously Devonte adams is a phenomenal player but other than that he doesn't throw to very highly touted players so i think no one has done more with less i think aaron Rodgers is the guy yeah aaron Rodgers is going to win the nfl mvp i mean it's a certainty at this point but i think that derrick henry should get it i mean the guy had two thousand yards rushing he means a lot more to his team. I mean, well, actually, no, I take that back. <laughs> <laughs> they both mean a lot to their respective. They both mean a lot to their teams. But as far as personal achievement in the season, like I understand that Rogers put up a lot of good numbers, a lot of touchdowns, but Devonte Adams is arguably the best receiver in the league. So that makes things easier for any quarterback when you have a receiver that's that good. And the quarterback relies on his offensive line pretty much a running back relies on his offensive line and not always, you know, sometimes holes don't open up and they have to create plays for themselves. And to get 2000 yards back to back seasons, I think that's deserving of an MVP award. But again, the MVP award is kind of a fucking crock. It only ever really goes to the player who's on the best team or one of the best teams in the league, which Aaron Rodgers is on. So he'll get the award I mean, he had a terrific season, so I'm not saying that he doesn't deserve it, but I think Derrick Henry would be my pick for the MVP. Yeah, that's fair. And I mean, I think the media is so enamored with Patrick Mahomes, and that's not to say that no one is talking about Aaron Rodgers, but like he kind of just flies under the radar. And Mahomes with 36 touchdowns to quality players with Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill and, you know, all these dudes... And Aaron Rodgers basically threw one touchdown on average more per game about approximately. It's a little less than one touchdown more. But he threw 12 more touchdowns over the course of the season than Mahomes did. And it'll be interesting to see what happens to the Chiefs when they don't have the weapons that they have. Because I do think that Mahomes has the best weapons in all of the NFL. So I think Aaron Rodgers, like I said before, no one's done more with less at least this year. So we'll have to see how that plays out. I want to add this point real quick because I'm just seeing this now. Back to the MVP race with Rodgers. And again, terrific numbers. But the teams that the Packers beat this year, and I'll list them real quick. Vikings, Lions, Falcons, Texans, Vikings again, 49ers, Jaguars, Bears, Eagles, Lions, Panthers, Bears. I know the Bears made the playoffs, but like, not the greatest of schedule. So I think you got to take into account some of that as well, just for what it is. I think that there's no doubt about it that the AFC is a far better conference than the NFC is. The best teams in football are in the AFC. There's no doubt about it. Yeah. So we will get into everyone's favorite sports segment. Of course, this is our football, a.k.a. soccer segment, Sheffield United. And we can bust out the party poppers and the party hats because <laughs> Sheffield United won their first game of the season. Oh, so, my God. 
So I know everybody was on the edge of their seats the last two months wondering what was going on with Sheffield, but don't worry because you didn't miss anything until this past week where, <laughs> like Koenig mentioned, Sheffield finally won their first game of the season. That's right. So to put things into perspective, Sheffield has played 18 league games this year, almost half the season. When they played 19, it'll be half the season. They played 18 goddamn games and they just now finally won their first game any your thoughts that says it all right there so sheffield go on the road and they play an fa cup game and i'm not even sure like what this cup is about but basically it's a chance for just lesser quality teams to play in a tournament setting i guess and they're playing against a League One, which is two divisions below Sheffield. So, like, you have the English Premier League at the top. You have the Championship Division, which is just below English Premier League. And then you have League One. And they played a team in that division, and they won 3-2. to two. By and one goal. <laughs> one goal. And I'm shocked that we scored three times. That was the news. So Sheffield wins the game three to two, and I'm thinking, okay, this is, I think it was like two to three days before we played Newcastle on Tuesday. And I was like, okay, maybe this is what the team needs. Like, yes, this is a game that they should have won. They should not have even been as close as it was. But seeing the ball go in the net and beating a team and getting that belief back in the locker room, okay, maybe this is what it's going to take to get them going. And to their credit, when they played against Newcastle, the one game that they've won this year, they were far and away the best team that entire game. A player for Newcastle gets sent off with a red card and right before halftime, and Newcastle United play the entire second half down a man. Basically, Sheffield are on the power play for a, you know, a hockey comparison for 45 minutes. And uh, ultimately, it was a breakaway chance that a Newcastle defender used their hand to swat the ball away from one of our attacking players, which led to a penalty. And Mr. Sheffield United, the captain, Billy Sharp, slotted it home in the 77th minute, something like that. And Sheffield gets their first win of the Premier League season. It took us till 2021, but we got there. In my opinion, a total fluke win. The reason we got the goal, Koenig was saying this to me via text as we're watching the game. He's like, we had a lot of offensive chances there and we were dominating. Well, in the first half, yes, I will say that we had the majority of the chances. And with that red card that came over into the second half, that allowed us more offensive chances to take more risk. And it took a penalty shot for us to get the goal to win the game. I mean... Yeah, we won, which is great, but like this team sucks. I mean, they're so bad. They're they're far they, out of their element, that's for sure. They're in dead last place in the league standings. They're three wins out of being relegated, which doesn't seem like a lot. You think, oh, three wins, like they can get three wins. Well, it took them 18 <laughs> games to get one win, and there's only 38 games in the season, so they're practically halfway there so if they keep this track record they'll win one more game the entire year and it's just been a very discouraging season and our next three league games are against three powerhouses in the premier league so i can just about chalk up three losses right there 
I'm glad that we didn't get skunked on the year, but we're still in play to have the worst season in Premier League history as far as overall points go. And I've definitely been kind of the overly optimistic voice on Sheffield this entire season, and I'm very convinced that the relegation that's about to happen is a foregone conclusion. But it kind of makes you wonder, and I, I texted Corbin this, we were kind of like bantering back and forth after the Sheffield game, and... I'm thinking to myself as an optimist, the devil's advocate, right, is wanting to see, you know, any kind of positive that we can make from this is I wonder what this does in terms of mentality, because I think what you saw a lot of times late in games previously in the season is the players were so wound up about don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up, don't fuck it up. And like they would fuck it up, right? Because they were so bound on trying to get that first win. Because the pressure is intense. Like the Premier League is the best league of international soccer in the entire world. And so all of the eyes are bearing down on you. And you have the embarrassment of being a team that was competing for, you know, a Europa League spot just several months ago to a team that everyone makes jokes about in the media and saying, oh, Sheffield, uh, you have banter club, Tim Pot club, you're going to be relegated, blah, 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 blah. It's all over Twitter. Just It's all in the replies to Sheffield. Like, the fans in England are brutal. <laughs> and it just kind of makes you wonder, like, they got that first win now. What kind of weight does that take off of their shoulders? Like, Newcastle's not a phenomenal team. They're definitely a lower oh, it, third team. Well, and Newcastle had lost... Well, Counting the loss to Sheffield, they've lost eight straight competitions in a row. Jesus. So it's it's not like, you know, like Newcastle was on a huge slide when Sheffield got them. So it's, yeah. it wasn't like we were playing a good team that we, oh, we beat a really good team. Exactly. But again, there's, I've said this all fucking year long, but there's enough time in the schedule where if you want to turn around, you can turn it around. And I'm hoping, I'm hoping that, okay, we've got that first win under our belt. The players can relax a little bit more. It gives them that belief that, yes, we can compete in this division. And Corbin said we have a really tough stretch of games coming up. I really don't think we'll get any points from those three games, to be honest. No, no no way. If we got one tie, which would be one point in those three games, I I'd, would be like ecstatic about that. Me too. <laughs> it's. I think all three of these teams are like top six or higher. The only way at this point that they don't get relegated is so they're in the 20th spot and to not get relegated, you need to get to 17. Yeah. Pretty much the rest of the games that they play, they have to beat those teams 15 through 19. They yeah. have to. Yeah. Wins. They cannot <laughs> wins, not draws. They have to win. Yeah. And that's that, that's the only way. And they have to beat all those teams, which can it be done? Like, sure. Yeah, it can be done. <laughs> Will it be done? <laughs> that remains yeah. to be seen. Yeah. Well, and it's interesting, too, because the manager for Sheffield, Chris Wilder, has gone to the board, and we're kind of in that January transfer window. And they're talking about adding players, but honestly, no real quality players. You're not going to get any players on loan to come to Sheffield. You're not going to get any quality players from championship. And even if you did get a player that was quality from championship, you're bringing in a player from a lower division to try to save you in your English Premier League season. So I really don't think that that's the move. I think what it's going to take is it needs your big signings to be the players that you sign them for. We brought in this player, Rian Brewster, from Liverpool. And Liverpool is a top quality program. Like, they finish at the top of the table or close to the top of the table pretty much every year. And we brought in this kid, Rian Brewster, to 
help us out and score goals. The kid does not score goals. He scored zero goals since we've had him. Zero. zero. And everyone was like, oh, Rian Brewster's like the shit, right? And honestly, if Sheffield is going to pull a rabbit out of their ass and survive relegation, Rian Brewster, you have got to fucking start scoring goals. When your best player, when your highest goal scorer on the team is David McGoldrick, who's like an overweight Irish dude, no offense. <laughs> And he's 33 years old, which in the grand scheme of things is not very old. But for a football age, when these kids are playing in like these top tier leagues, when they're like 16, 17 years old, 33 years is a lot of miles on you. Yeah, 100%. So there's some games out there. There's some opportunities for us. But like Corbin said, I think it's really going to get wins from those games against the bottom third of the table and we just need more we need more we need more production it was our first clean sheet our first shutout of the season ramsdale managed to not allow a goal for once this year which was you know a miracle in and of itself we almost scored on ourselves in the last like God. 30 seconds of the game i one shit of our, myself one of our defenders headed a ball back to the goalie for him to grab onto it and hold onto it. And the goalie was out of place and he almost hit it into our own net. And that would have been a draw. It would have been a disaster. That would have been the most Sheffield way to not win a game ever. <laughs> yes. I was just watching that. Like you cannot be kidding. Like <laughs> you can, you cannot I'll put a video or a photo of this on our YouTube video of like how close we were to actually losing this game. He had to dive backwards and like swat the ball away. <laughs> this ball was going in 100%. The Newcastle got a corner kick out of it and it was like, hold your breath. Like, are they going to score on this corner kick? Because Sheffield's given up a lot of corner kick goals this year. And it's, oh, it's was... just set pieces in general. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so we'll but... see how it goes, but we'll keep you guys posted on all of the latest and greatest from Sheffield. But we will transition into the last segment of our show, episode 17. This is everyone's favorite, the unknown. The unknown. The unknown. The unknown. This week on The Unknown, I will be in control. So Koenig is going to have to go through the gauntlet. Koenig, are we going to have our normal bet where you can either do a shot or a full drink of beer if you lose? I saved one Montucky for this in case I lose. So I had a whole six pack here in my cooler and I also saved one full beer in case I lose because I'm out of hard alcohol. <laughs> oh, he's he's got a Montucky. Yeah. He's changing his arsenal. <laughs> well, I, I ran out of stone. I only had a Fair couple enough. of those. Okay, so this is going to be completely unsports related, but that's fine because who what cares? the unknown is for. So... Just about everybody in America and probably in lots of corners of the world know the animated TV show, The Simpsons. How could you not, right? I mean, this show has been airing for, what, over 25 years and is probably the most successful cartoon ever and probably that there ever will be. Koenig, it's probably safe to say that you have seen an episode or two of The Simpsons in your day. Is that true? I am a very casual Simpsons fan. Okay, but like, you know character names like if i were to tell you character names you would know who they are for the most part yeah i played a lot of simpsons hit and run on the gamecube back oh in the day. Hell, hell yeah <laughs> yes <laughs> that's a great game okay perfect so what i have here is we're gonna do a three strikes and you're out so you're gonna try to get as many points as you can before you get your third strike and you're out okay okay 
What you need to do is I have a list of 10 characters in front of me, and this is an actual stat that I looked up. So minus the Simpsons immediate family, which is Homer, Marge, Bart, Lisa, and Maggie. Right. Okay. Uh Minus those five characters, take those out. What characters, and this is a top 10 list from one to 10, what side characters have the most screen time in the history of the show. Now, you don't need to give me, oh, number one is this, number two is this. All you have to do is give me a side character's name, and if it's on the list, you get a point. Okay. Now, looking at this list, you should absolutely know nine of these characters. Probably ten, but you should absolutely know nine of these characters. I'm not saying you you can get nine, but I'm just saying, like, when I read these back to you, you'll know who these characters are. No, for sure. I think you can get six. Wow. (laughs) I think if you get less than six, you'll have to drink. Six will be what you need to win. We'll put five as the push, and then four or less, you lose. And that's being pretty generous. Yeah, that's totally fair. I'll accept that. Okay, so you need five to push, six to win. And again, you get three strikes and you're out. So if you guess a character and they're not on this list, then you get a strike. Once you get to three strikes, you're done. So again, now this is screen time. It's not appearances. It's total screen time. Right. So there could be a character that's in every episode, but he's only in the episode for one second. Like, it's not a lot of screen time. Right. So... Just think of that when you're thinking of your answers, but you can go ahead. Whenever you're ready, you can start giving answers. For my first guess, I'm going to say Mr. Burns. Mr. Burns, final answer? Sure. Mr. Burns is correct. Mr. Burns was number one on this list. He's on screen more than any other character besides the immediate family. So you've already got one and you have no strikes. Perfect. All right. um... I know I'm going to have to drink. (laughs) (laughs) You already like you started off like hitting the nail on the head. (laughs) Well, I mean, every episode of The Simpsons that I've watched has had Mr. Burns in it. So (laughs) a lucky guess. I'll say Ned Flanders. Ned Flanders. Is that your final answer? Yeah, I'll go with him. Ned Flanders is... Correct. Ned Flanders is actually number four on this Ooh, list. Okay. So so you've got two. You need to get to five to push, and you've got zero strikes. Oh, see, now, now I'm reaching into my bag. Um, I'm going to say Nelson. Ha ha. <laughs> Nelson, is that a final answer? Yeah. Nelson is incorrect unfortunately nelson is not in the top 10 i thought he was gonna like when i first saw the list i was like oh nelson's gotta be in there but when you hear these other characters it makes more sense for sure okay so nelson is not a go so i'd imagine moe's gotta be in there for sure final answer yeah that is correct mo sislak is actually number two he is number two on this list okay so you've got three correct answers with one strike you've got seven other potential answers available okay um i'll say crusty the clown has got to be on there crusty the clown is that a final answer yeah that is 
Correct. Krusty is number oh. five on the list. Oh. So you're already at four. So you need to get one more to push, two more to win with one strike. So just to reiterate, the correct ones you've gotten so far are Mr. Burns, Moe, Ned Flanders, and Krusty the Clown. Yeah. Um, oh, what's his name? Um, shit. I can picture him in my mind. He's like a black dude with a short haircut. He's always wearing a jacket. Carl? <laughs> Carl, Carl, Carl. Yeah, 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 yeah. You want that to be your answer? Yeah, I'll go with Carl. He's on a lot of episodes, I feel like. All right, that's your final answer. You sure? Yes. Carl is incorrect. Carl is not one of the top 10 Uh-oh. screen time characters. So, so this is big because now you've got two strikes and you've got four correct answers. So you need one to push, two to win. Let me get this beer ready because I have a feeling <laughs> I'm going to be drinking it. Now, now, there is definitely... If you think about it, you can definitely pull one of these. There's some big names on this list. Shit. Like, names that you'll know. Yeah, I'm definitely a casual Simpsons fan. I'll watch and I'll enjoy an episode, but I'm not hardcore. Ooh. Um, my next guess, I'm going to say Millhouse. Millhouse? Yeah. Final answer? Yeah. Millhouse is... Correct! Millhouse is number nine. Oh, Millhouse shit. is number nine on the list. So, so far you've pushed. Okay. So if you can get one more here before you get this X, you will officially win and you won't have to chug a beer. So, oh. again, you've got Mr. Burns, Moe, Ned Flanders, Krusty the Clown, and Millhouse. There's still some big names on here. There's one in particular that I thought you would have guessed almost right off the bat, but you haven't yet, but that's okay. There's one that I think is a slam dunk, but I'm trying to think, like, maybe he's just not on for very long, but he's so popular. He's always in gifts of the show and everything like that. I'm going to go with it, and if I push, I push, and we'll drink this beer together, but I'm going to say Ralph. Ralph? Ralph Wiggum? Yeah. Ralph is incorrect. No. Ralph Wiggum is not on what? there. So we push. All right, oh. are you ready to get the characters? So coming in at number three, Principal Skinner. Oh, Principal yeah. Skinner. Coming in at number six, Abe Simpson, Grandpa, oh, Homer's yeah, dad, yeah. Abe yeah. Simpson. Number seven was Chief Wiggum, Ralph Wiggum's dad. Oh, my God. This one was a little bit weird, but the more I think about it, the more it makes sense. Number eight is Kent Brockman. He's the news reporter. Okay. He's in a lot of episodes. Like whenever they're watching TV, it's always Kent Brockman. So, oh, okay. and then this one I thought you would get for sure. Apu. Apu. From the Quickie Mart. Oh. Yeah. <laughs> no. I thought you'd get a poo for sure. So, oh. all right. Well, that was actually, I set that bar perfectly because you got it right on the push. So, yeah. but yeah, not bad. All right. So we'll go ahead and we'll pound these here real quick and I then guess, we'll sign off. I guess we're finishing this six pack tonight. Down the hatch. Oh, rather than have us both drink at the same time, we'll, <laughs> we'll entertain you folks, but we're going to finish this and, Probably go make some irresponsible decisions on the internet tonight, but 
That is all that we have on episode 17 of the podcast. Before we go, we do want to give our drink reviews for tonight's show. I'll start while Corbin is sucking down that drink, and then hopefully he'll be done, and then I can do my uh, penalty while he gives his review. (laughs) I had the Stone Tropic of Thunder Lager. It comes in the yellow can. If you're in an area like San Diego where IPAs are a thing, I'm sure this will be in your local BevMo. I'm a huge fan of lagers, as people who watch the program know. I drink them all the time. I'm not a huge beer fan, but I do prefer a lager when I do drink. And this one is actually, I'm actually very surprised. Stone, I've always been kind of like, oh, I don't, I don't know about that. Just because I just hate IPAs. I think they taste just gross. So when I saw the stone label on a lager, my curiosity got me. And I was like, ah, I gotta try this. <laughs> Actually, pleasantly surprised. Very, very tasty. Very, very good. We go on a five-star scale here on Slightly Sideways. I'm going to go with a 4.3 out of five stars. Pretty good. 4.3. Very, very high. Well, I have finished my bet here on my end. I'm showing Koenig my empty glass here, as he can see. As I mentioned to start the show, I have Montucky Cold Snacks over here, which sounds like a bizarre name for a beer, but it is a very... Very good beer. It's a lager. You know, that's why Koenig likes it. Blue can. It's got an orange and reddish mountain on the can, as well as a white horse that's kind of running next to the mountain. You can find it at Sprouts if you have a Sprouts near you. But Montucky Cold Snacks, very, very good. This is my favorite beer. I'm not a huge, huge, huge beer drinker as far as, you know, oh, I like the taste of this. I like the taste of that. But I would say that cold snacks for the beer, I'd give it a 4.5 out of 5. Yeah. 4.5 out of 5. It's very high. <clears throat> a minus. A minus for sure. I definitely agree with the rating on Montucky. I'm actually, I had a six pack and unfortunately I only had three of the stone and I finished off with three of the Montucky and that's what I'm sucking down as my punishment over here. The Montucky is very, very good. I think it's harder to find. Sometimes it's difficult to find. Here in Seattle, we're literally like right next door to Montana. So uh, it's everywhere here. By the way, it's been cold as shit here in Seattle the last couple days. <laughs> I'm literally sitting here in my office. It's fucking freezing in here. <laughs> so I'm going to sign off and put on a sweatshirt or something. That's all we have for you on episode 17 of the podcast. If you enjoyed it, if you're on YouTube, hit a like button. Let us know that you're enjoying the comment. Leave a comment down below with your favorite segment. Maybe your uh, least favorite segment also so we can improve on the show for next time. If you're on Twitter, you're on oldtwitter.com. Give us a follow at Slightly Sideway. I know that the both of us are going to be tweeting from that account during the football tomorrow. Hopefully you guys all enjoy the football. If you are on Spotify and you're listening to our program, go ahead and hit us with a follow so that all of our new episodes go straight to your inbox. And if you have any suggestions or feedback for the show, feel free to give us an email. You can email our business email at slightlysidewayspod at gmail.com. I've been your host, Canning, joined as always by my good friend and co-host, Corbin. Say goodnight to the people, Corbin. To all my Swedes out there, good morning, and I hope you have a great day. Night, everyone. <laughs>